Hey Faith Family, we're continuing our series called The New Normal as we're looking how to live with consistency no matter what uh, the challenges come our way. Whatever you face, maybe this week, next week, this year, next year, this decade, next decade, as you're getting, heading into a new relationship, as you're going through transitions and other relationships, maybe kids are going into school for the first time or moving out of the house, all kinds of different things. Change is coming, right? There's no... Uh, concept and no reality in your life where change is not going to be part of your life. But this new normal that Paul talks about in Colossians 3 is how do we live with consistency in the middle of all of that change? And we've lived with a year of change. It seems like every time, you know, you read the newspaper, get on the internet, there's new trends or new ideas about this virus or ways that we should approach it or ways that the life's going to be afterwards. And you know, I just wish, personally, I'm like, I just wish like for the next month we knew exactly what was going to be. But that's not true in any part of our life. I don't know what's going to be in my family's life in the next month. I don't know what's going to be in our financial situation in the next month. Something could change, something unexpected could happen. And so thinking that consistency externally would give us consistency internally is a fallacy of thinking. And this is what Paul tells us in chapter three to put on these qualities because as change comes, you can head, head in straight into it, uh, with a consistency of character that will allow you to live as God intended. And so let me read Colossians three to you again. And you're going to see these uh, words and some that we've already talked about and these that we're going to talk about today and next week pop up. But Colossians three twelve through 14 says this, Put on then as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if, ha- if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So so these words and concepts that we've been doing over the last few uh, weeks are kind of laying a foundation, right? You got uh, compassion, kindness, and humility kind of forming the base of kind of a, a character pyramid. And then you've got meekness and patience that we're talking about this week that are building that next level. And, and finally, we're going to put on the kind of the capstone next week of love and this unconditional love that we're supposed to express to one another. Above all, put on love. But this week we're going to focus on patience, kind of that next, finishing off that next tier, that second level, that advanced Christianity, I guess you call it, that that next step of living with consistency that takes compassion, kindness, humility, and meekness to be able to live with patience. So how are we going to look at this? We're going to look at it the same way we've been looking at each one of these. We're going to dig into this word and what's spelled out here uh, in the passage and define it. And then we're going to look at a model of Jesus, of how Jesus uh, demonstrated patience. And then we're going to talk about how to apply it into our lives, how to internalize it so it becomes part of our clockwork, our DNA that, that we operate by. And then how do we implement it? How does it start to express out of who we are and impact others' lives and the way we interact with our world. So let's define this. And if you look back at this passage, right, it's Paul's been kind of just giving us a list, like compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness. And then he, when he hits patience here, 
he kind of gives a, a side. He's like, all right, let me, let me tell you what exactly I mean. He's talking about bearing with one another, forbearing with each other. Like, if you have a complaint against each other, forgiving each other. He uses these two words, forbearing and forgiving. And we're going to use these later in our teaching to really talk about the application, the implementation in our lives. But but he kind of stops here, goes into more detail. And I think it's important to note that because I think what he's saying is, look, before we hit the capstone, before we hit love, and you're actually able to love people the way Christ did, you're going to have to learn patience with people. You're going to have to learn to be patient with people. So what is patience? Well, here's what patience is not. Patience isn't waiting. It isn't doing nothing. It isn't idleness or laziness. It isn't just twiddling your thumbs and, you know, figuring out, oh, I'll just wait till whatever the right thing to do shows up in my life and you get frustrated. And a lot of times, many of us think that either patience is something that I have to exert in a moment. So something is going on that I don't understand. And I need some clarity. So I have to be patient. I have to wait for clarity or I have to exert patience on somebody, right? So they're far behind me. I've gotten so far ahead that I've got to wait on them to catch up. So it's, it's like these momentary expressions. I've got patience in my wallet. When I need it, I pull out that card and I use it. So in a situation or with a person, and then once I've used it, I just put it back up and I don't have to worry about it anymore. But that's not the way Paul describes it. He says it's something we put on. It's something we wear, something we constantly demonstrate. And the word patience, one of the other ways it's interpreted here, and when you go back to the uh, the original term in the Greek, it, the, in the English, maybe a better terminology is the idea of long suffering. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound any better than patience. Like long suffering actually sounds much worse. But but what do these two words mean? Long, it, it means basically a slowness to respond or slowness to avenge wrong. It's having endurance. Long, and even the way long is is demonstrated here, it's almost outside of time. And the best way I can phrase this, the long part of long suffering is unmeasured. It's not how long something's going on or how many times it's happened. It is unmeasured. It, it exists almost outside of time. We're not counting the days. We're not counting the times in somebody's life when they brought frustration or harm into my life. This is what long means. It's it's unmeasured. What about suffering? What, what does it mean to be able to suffer, to, to suffer long or unmeasured suffering? Again, that sounds like a horrible thing, but the idea is this suffering is to actually stand firm, to stand up under pressure. And he uses two words here in the passage to bear one another or to forbear with one another and to forgive one another. And I think these two words talk legitimately and help us understand legitimately what suffering is. It is first forbearing. It is holding up, sustaining, uh, not attacking other people. But when you see a weakness in somebody's life, it's coming and standing with them to, to help them, to forbear with them, to strengthen them and to suffer alongside of them. But then it's also forgiving when when somebody harms you or hurts you or does something in 
your life. Maybe they didn't come help you when you needed help, even though you were forbearing with them. It's understanding that to suffer long means that I have to forgive that. I have to look at that and go, you know, yeah, that wasn't right. It was painful. It was difficult. But I can either choose to let that be a constant hurdle in my life that's going to turn into a wall that I'll never get over. Or when it's a hurdle, I'll choose to deal with it and forgive and get past it and let grace freely flow in my life. So patience is this long, this unmeasured forbearance and forgiving in our life. Unmeasured, I'm, I'm not counting how many times I had to help somebody to forbear with them. And I'm also not counting how many times I had to forgive them. That's patience. And this is why Paul says to put it on. It's not a card we use because guess what? We every day, almost every moment and every relationship that's going to call for either help or forgiveness, for forbearance or forgiveness. And so let me put this in a definition that I think we can hold on to. And um, I'm going to tell you, these definitions seem to be getting harder and harder as a, as they form together. Uh, but this is why there's kind of the foundation and then the middle level and then the, the capstone. But I think patience is best defined. Biblical patience is defined as this. Patience is a willingness to dispense an unmeasured amount of grace and dedication toward others in order to delight in the unmistakable peace and reconciliation of God toward myself. Now catch that. There's a lot in there. Patience is the willingness to dispense unmeasured, long-suffering, unmeasured amount of grace and dedication, that's a long-suffering, toward others in order then delight in the unmistakable peace and reconciliation of God that comes back into my life as I do that. You know, one of the quickest ways to know you don't have peace in your life is to realize you don't have peace with others. You're not willing to forbear, forgive with others, to long suffer with others. So if you want that peace, if you, if you want that reconciliation to fully play out in your life, you have to be willing to let dispense this unmeasured amount of grace and dedication toward others. Now, if you're like me, you're already going, whoa, hold on unmeasured is like, that's nice when I was thinking about it toward me, but like unmeasured toward other people, you don't know what these people have done to me. You don't know how much harm they brought into my life. Like every time I open the door, it's like they just punch me in the face. Are you just saying I just need to be willing to do that and like be a punching bag all the time? That's not what we're saying. And we're going to talk about that later on. But it does mean sometimes you can, you know, move yourself away from somebody without having to be a, a constant receiver of abuse, but it doesn't negate the fact that you should want to forgive them and to not let that eat up in your life because as long as you don't forgive them, you're not going to have this unmistakable peace and reconciliation with God as well. So that's all great, and Paul puts us in there, but why does he do it? Because, again, he uses Jesus as a model as he's been looking back at Jesus' life, and he saw this play out in Jesus's life. So we're going to look at a couple passages today of where Jesus just hits this really hard. Uh, one is with a disciple of his, and then the other is with a Pharisee who questions how he treats somebody who comes to him for forgiveness. And so uh, there's a passage in Matthew 18 where Jesus and the disciples are talking. They've been 
going back and forth, Jesus has been sharing some parables, some stories that have some very deep meanings, and he's been talking about forgiving and settling debts, the importance of that, like following him, the lifestyle he's calling to over and over again in these parables is so many times about the forgiveness of debts, the forgiveness of wrongs. He's like, if you, nothing else, if you are going to follow me, you're going to call yourself a follower of Christ and my teachings, forgiveness and patience with others has to be there. It's not an option. It's not an add-on. It is at the core of what it means. And so Jesus has been teaching all this. And, and here comes Peter. I love what Peter does. Like when he asks Jesus this question, he's actually setting himself up kind of for a compliment. And so here's what Peter does. Matthew 18, 21, he says this. Then Peter came up to Jesus and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? You catch what Peter's doing here? Like, he's probably looking at the other disciples around here and going like, you know, they might forgive each other once or twice. I'm going to show Jesus just how serious I am. And he goes, if my brothers, if one of these brothers around here, you know, hurts me and sins against me, I know we should forgive him once, but should we do it as many as seven times? I'd be willing to do seven times. And Jesus just kind of, you know, verbally slaps Peter upside the head. And he was like, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times, seven times. Un unmeasurable is what he's saying. An unmeasurable amount of times. And then he immediately goes into this parable about an unforgiving servant where the servant comes into the king and he owes his king an exorbitant amount of money and he pleads for patience with the king. And the king looks upon him, shows him grace and says, go, your debts are forgiven. You know, go and live your life, go in peace. Well, the servant walks out and he sees one of his servants that owes him basically 10 bucks. And he looks at the guy and he says, pay up. This guy just had a million dollar debt, let go. And he now finds a guy who owes him 10 bucks and he says, pay me now. And what does the guy do? The same thing. He begs for patience, for long suffering. Give me time and I will repay you. I, I'm, I'm working on it. I'm trying. I'm developing. And what does the servant do? He doesn't reflect the master. Instead, he goes back to his old ways and he has the servant thrown in jail uh, and never could repay him. And, and when the true master finds out, he brings pretty strong punishment onto the, the guy who wouldn't forgive because he's like, you didn't truly understand my forgiveness if you're not willing to show it toward others. If you don't have, if mine is unmeasurable, if my patience with you is unmeasurable, if you're a follower of mine, your patience with others should be unmeasurable as well. It's this the idea of giving people space to grow, giving people space to develop. Honestly, it's very opposite of what's going on in part of our culture now of like this cancel culture, right? You say one thing wrong, you do one thing wrong, and you're not excusing that behavior. And maybe it was even years ago and you've, you've changed since then, but something came to light that you said or did 10, 15 years ago. And now your whole identity is determined by that one thing instead of us giving each other space to grow and develop. I don't think Jesus would have been a fan of cancel culture at all. He was a fan of grace culture, of going, okay, I'm going to be patient with you. I'm going to give you a chance to grow and develop. The worst of you is not all of you. And I'm going to give you a chance to step forward. And we see this play out practically. So he doesn't just do it in a 
battle of words kind of with Peter, he actually does it in somebody's life. And so if you jump over to Luke chapter 7, we're going to see a story of, it's called the story of the sinful woman. It's basically a woman who is known to be a prostitute in the area. And uh, Luke seven thirty six uh, talks about this. And I'm just going to tell you the story because there's a lot in it. Uh, but we're going to see uh, some some great responses. We're going to look specifically at some of the responses Jesus has to this woman. But Jesus is at the home of Simon, a Pharisee, uh, who has been invited to a banquet there. And he comes in and he was reclining at the table, which was the custom then. And as he's reclining at the table, probably having conversation with the teachers and the other people there, they were kind of testing him. And it probably wasn't the friendliest of dinners, but maybe it was... They were trying to figure out whose side everybody was on. And anyway, this woman comes in and burst into the banquet, uh, not invited. And she comes running in. And as she runs in, she falls at Jesus' feet. She begins to weep at his feet. And her tears, it says with her tears, she began to bathe his feet and took her hair and washed his feet. And then she began to said he kissed his feet lavishly. And then she took an alabaster jar full of oil, very expensive, probably the thing that was going to guarantee her any kind of future. She took that, broke it open, and anointed Jesus's feet with it. What a scene, right? I mean, this sinful, you know, woman, that serial offender, no doubt who she was and what she did, burst in, comes to Jesus, does all of this, hair, kissing, ointment, all of that. And while she's doing that, Simon and the others around the table are looking on indignantly. Like, and they even say this, if he was a true prophet, he would know who she is and what she's done. And he would respond, he would basically tell her to get out. I mean, think about this for a minute. You, we, we know Jesus, maybe we know the story, and maybe you have compassion on this woman. But what if, what if it was at your house? What if you had a guest of honor over? And the person that irritated you the most, the person that had hurt you the most, maybe it's somebody in our culture, maybe it's a national leader, maybe it's a local uh, leader, maybe it's a friend, used to be a friend, and there's just tension now. And they came busting in, this serial offender, this racist, this abuser, this liar, manipulator, this stealer, this character assassin, this gossiper, this adulterer, they come busting in and just run up to your guest of honor and basically beg for mercy and for grace. How would you feel? I don't know that I would have long suffering in that moment. I think I would be challenged in that moment, similar to how Simon was. Like, doesn't he know who this woman is? Doesn't they, doesn't this guy know who this person is to me? They hurt me. They you know, they've killed my character. They've, they're against everything I believe in. And he's giving them the time of day when I invited him here. So before we judge Simon too quickly, I think many of us, if we put ourselves in his situation today, we might find ourselves where he is. And here's what Jesus does at that moment. I, if I'm Simon, probably what I would have wanted to do is I would have wanted to close the door. I would want to get the person, take them to the door and close the door and say, you're not welcome here. And I would have had a measured response and I would have found that person lacking. You don't deserve to be here and get out. But here's what Jesus does instead. Jesus opens the door. He became accessible because he found her in need. 
not lacking, but in need. And that's a whole different way to look at people, isn't it? Too often I look at people as lacking. You've got to get something changed in your life before I'm willing to even open the door again. That's not long-suffering. Long-suffering is part of what Jesus did, making except accessible to his forgiveness because he saw a need. And so here's what Jesus does. As he deals with this, and he has a long conversation with Simon and explains why he's doing this. But then he, he gives the, the response, three responses to this woman that I think are critical for us to understand about our own lives and how we should respond to people that we are trying to long suffer with. And the first thing is that Jesus offered unqualified grace. Luke 7:48 says this, and he said to her, your sins are forgiven. She hadn't spoken. She had not cried out, oh, Jesus, save me. Jesus, I am a sinner. Here are the six things I did today. Here's who I am. She, she just came in, fell at his feet, prostrate, and was like, I, I need something. She never even spoke. She just demonstrated. And Jesus poured out his unqualified grace. And it's not, I'm not saying his grace wasn't important. I'm just saying he didn't make her do something to qualify for it. She hadn't proven herself to him. She hadn't gone three, six, 12 months without slipping up. She showered Jesus with reverence and respect for the grace that he had already demonstrated. The power of grace was experienced in her willingness to receive it because it had already been fully flowing from Jesus constantly. And the question is this, are you experiencing the beauty of the gospel so much in your life that others can't help but want the grace that Jesus offers? Like, is it so much flowing in your life, this grace overwhelming you, where you're realizing where you're not just lacking, but you're in need and you've seen Jesus meet your need over and over again. Is that so evident in your life that others would come rushing into the room and say, look, if you're friends with this person who can do that, I need it. Even if I'm your worst enemy, I need it. So Jesus offered unqualified grace. But then here's what happened next. Jesus recognized unrivaled belief. Luke 750, the first part says this, and he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Her actions demonstrated that she knew the only source of salvation was Jesus, not Simon, not sitting back quietly outside the door, hoping to catch a glimpse of Jesus maybe as he left. It was running in when he was accessible and saying, I need you. I need you. Faith was complete in that moment. Her salvation came through this external expression of this inward faith and this inward belief that she had. Let me ask you the question. Are you believing the gospel of Jesus so much in your life that others can't help but want the faith that you have? I mean, are, are you believing that Jesus, are you living that out? Jesus is the only, only way of salvation. And you'll do anything to get closer to him, to, to draw near to him. Because that's what saved you. Jesus recognized that unrivaled belief and he said, your faith has saved you. But then finally, Jesus does something here. He's not just, like he was speaking to her, like your sins are forgiven, your faith has saved you. But now Jesus does something amazing and he, Jesus dispenses unparalleled hope. In the last part of verse 50, he said to the woman, go in peace. Those are 
three big words. What was she really hoping for in her life? Forgiveness, sure, no doubt. She was desiring maybe to feel some of that guilt and shame washed away uh, and just that you know, feeling of lacking and that everybody viewed her in a certain way. Maybe she just wanted to be forgiven to feel that internal transformation. But what she actually got was peace. She got a new life, a new direction, a new her. Go in peace. Not just washed internally, but you have peace outside. You have you can walk around knowing that you are loved, forgiven, you're recipient of grace, you have deep faith that has saved you, and now walk in the peace and the hope that Jesus has for you. Which brings us to the question, are you living out of the gospel so much in your life that others can't help but want the hope that you have? Even in the deepest, darkest situations, even when people do things to you that are unfathomable and you still live with peace and hope because of who you are in Christ and your standing in Christ, are you living out that so much that people can't help but want the hope? Hope. You know what? We don't really get an idea of what happened in Simon's life after that. We, we get a little bit that they were questioning. Maybe his response was, you know, wondering, like, is she really changed? Uh, or we pull back and start analyzing every issue and rehashing, like, so did he, does he really have the power to forgive or this or that and start analyzing everything? You know, I hope, maybe for Simon's sake, and I would hope for my sake if I was the one sitting there and I was initially closing off access and looking at someone as lacking and saying, get out, that I would immediately when I saw Jesus do this, I would follow her example. I would then run to Jesus, fall down in front of him, weep with sorrow, kiss his feet, anoint him with oil. Because this is what the patience of Jesus can do in our lives. Maybe we're like Simon, we can be too proud, or maybe we like, we're like this woman and we are ready to respond to this grace and this hope and through faith as we step out and embrace the patience of Jesus. So, Jesus can do that. That's unparalleled, right, in a sense. I mean, that's difficult. I, I still find myself wondering if I would do that if it happened in my life right now. So, how do we begin to move in this direction? How do we begin to apply it in our life? Grow this kind of patience with people in our life. People who are serial abusers in our life. Bring serial pain into our life. Are regularly bringing misery into our life. Like it's not just one slip up, but how do we do it with people that have brought real hurt into our life? And I think it's going back to these two words that we looked at earlier, this idea of forbearance and forgiveness. And forbearance is going to way that we're going to apply it, where we're actually going to begin to internalize it in our life, where we're actually willing to offer aid to even those that hurt us. And so the first way that we apply this, the idea of applying this, is that you have to be willing to constantly offer relief, even when somebody hurts you. Offer relief. Now, what do I mean by relief? Because here's what happens. When somebody brings pain into our life, when there's tension in a relationship, when there's challenges going on, neither of us are really at peace, right? Like, what the one thing I feel like I do need there is relief. 
I want something to change so that I can start to move forward again. And maybe that, I think relief is just getting that person out of my life, like keeping them in arm resistance, not even trying to think about them. But the truth is thoughts keep coming in. I wake up in the middle of the night or I'll hear the name or something will remind me of the situation. And all of a sudden that tension is right back there. And so the way you forbear with this relationship, even you help one another and, and deal with this is to constantly offer relief. And, and here's, I think what we have to do, and this is difficult, but I'm going to give it to you. It's what I'm trying to do more and more in my own life. And the first thing is this is to offer relief. You have to offer a favorable perspective first. It starts with a favorable perspective, like what we think. Don't be consumed with the negative, the what could be or what might happen. Don't think that your perspective is the full picture. And that's hard to do because we think we have the full understand. Maybe, and I'm, I'm not excusing the behavior of this person. I'm not, Jesus didn't excuse the behavior of that woman, but he also, maybe there's a, there's a bigger picture. Maybe there's reason she's fallen into that sin. Maybe there's reason that people are prideful. Maybe there's reasons that people mirror abuse in their life toward other people because it's all they've experienced. It's not excusing that, but it's understanding. Having a favorable perspective is realizing I'm, that my perception is not the full picture. There could be positive that comes out of this. Positive doesn't mean we have to be best friends again, but the positive could be that there could be relief in our life. The second thing then to do is this, is to offer a forward outlook, to look forward. Think the best instead of believing the worst about them and the situation. What Start thinking, wait, what does it cost you to help them instead of thinking what you could do instead to hurt them? Too many times we get caught in this situation where we're like, I don't want this person, I want to move forward, but I don't want this person to move forward. And we start thinking about, well, if I, if I do something positive or I, I let them off the hook or I smile at them or give them a word of encouragement or do anything positive like it's going to move them forward but i'm not going to get it in return this is how relief comes is when we offer a forward outlook we don't do things waiting on reciprocation don't think that their past is their only future is that true of you it's not true of me thank god right that my past is not my only future. And this is having a forward outlook. And then the third, which is harder because that favorable perspective is our mind, that forward outlook is kind of our heart. But then this actually starts, we have to do something and that's offer a fresh start. Clean the slate, release the bitterness, let it go. The fresh start isn't just for them, it is just as much for you. It's how relief begins. Like instead of working against them, take a step back and just start doing nothing and then take that step back and say, let's clean the slate and see if we can do something to bring relief into this relationship, into this circumstance so that we can move forward. And here's the deal. Don't think that your angst isn't also working against you. Your angst toward them is actually working against you. It's bringing pain into your life. It's a knife with two blades on it. You think you're stabbing them, but it's really stabbing you 
as well. Your angst is working against you and offering a fresh start brings relief. This is how we begin to apply this in our life. Jesus didn't look at people and look at their their past, only their past. He had a favorable view of them and he always offered a fresh start. Even those who nailed him to the cross, right? Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. There's a bigger picture going on in everybody's life. So constantly offer relief. Now let me talk about right here how we do this in a sense with those who bring ongoing pain and abuse into our life. Because I would never encourage someone to just keep going back into an abusive relationship. To go back and back and back and say, well, you know, I'll just pray more. I'll just hope this person changes. Sometimes absence is a way to bring relief. Just because you have a favorable perspective of what could be, and you have a forward outlook, and you're willing to give them and everything a fresh start, doesn't always mean you have to go on that journey with them. It's so sometimes a fresh start is, is separation. Sometimes it's willing to say, I will forgive you. I will think positively about you. I'm going to, you know, be willing to give you a fresh start away from, from me. I'm not going to want bad. I'm not going to want, you know, turmoil to come. I'm not going to let that angst so eat up in me that it brings me pain. There are times that separation is the healthiest option. But assassination is never a legitimate outcome. Wanting pain and hurt and turmoil to ruin their life is never a legitimate outcome for those of us who follow Christ. Doesn't mean that we have to help them heal. Doesn't mean we have to be on the journey with them. But it does mean that we got to be willing to offer forgiveness and this forbearance of being able to have a forward outlook and a fresh start as we walk through it together. So that's application. Now let's talk about implementing it into our lives quickly. And this is the idea of forgiveness, right? He said, how do you show patience with forbearance? Offer that relief, constant relief, and then forgiveness. This is how we're going to implement it. And and forgiveness here means to, to bring healing, right? Resolution. It's a great way to talk about what forgiveness and it is resolving this. So you're offering the relief to begin with and forgiveness brings resolution, an end to it. It's gone. So we've been using all these different ways to remember these words and how to implement this, uh, these concepts. And, and this week is a very popular uh, slogan for a company, but it's a great uh, reminder to me. How do you show forgiveness? Just do it. Just do it. And I'm not trying to be, you know, simplistic here, but a part of forgiving people is actually choosing to do it, to put into action. Part of Christianity, part of following Christ is not just conceptual thoughts and having deep conversations with one another about how you might do this or theoretical, you know, back and forth. It's actually doing it. And forgiveness is one of the hardest things to do in the Christian faith. And so just do it. And how do we do it? One, you have to forgive with your words. You have to say it. I forgive you. You hurt me. You did this and this and this to me and you've done it. But because I want to live in this unmeasurable, I'm not going to measure it anymore. I forgive you. Speak it. Speak it into reality. Put it into reality. 
And they may come back and say, oh, I don't believe you, or it doesn't matter what you say. It does matter what you say between you and God, right? If you want that peace and reconciliation, then it's showing this unmeasured grace and forgiveness toward others. And so just speak it. Forgive with your words first. The second way you just do it is to forgive with your deeds. Act, once you've spoken it, then act differently toward them. Want good for them instead of harm. Stop acting like they don't exist. Again, it doesn't mean you have to have an open door for them to just come back and continue to bring harm into your life. You can set up guidelines and, and healthy boundaries, right? You can do that. But with your deeds, you can start acting differently. Instead of working against them, want good for them. Pray for them. That's a great way to start with your deeds is to pray for that person. But then the, the third way you just do it is this is to forgive with your heart. And that's embracing the power of patience and forgiveness and letting your heart be free. The pain no longer has a hold on you. The sin that people have pushed into your life and pushed onto you, the abuse that flew into your life the, from those closest and those we don't even know, the way we allow our heart to be manipulated and mangled so much the way you forgive is you forgive with your heart and embrace this long suffering, this unmeasured grace. You get to the point when you, when you forgive with your heart, you get to this point where you can say, there's nothing that anyone can do to me that I could not forgive. I don't know. I don't know that I could do that yet. I'm working on it. But oh, the power in that. There is nothing anyone could do to me that I can't forgive. Because that means my, if I can't forgive, my heart will never be free, fully free. Be bound by the chain of bitterness and anger, angst. Pain will be there. You know, scars can still be there, but the pain can be gone. And I would pray for us that we would begin to live in this patience, right? And just do it to have this heart of forgiveness that we could say with true, honest intent that there is nothing that anyone could do to me that I couldn't forgive. Patience. Very different than just waiting, right? Just pulling out a card and using it when, you know, got to wait on something. Patience is long-suffering, forbearing with one another, and being willing to forgive no matter what. No matter what. It's my prayer that we as people, we as a faith family, we as followers of Christ, would begin to be patient with one another and with those that have hurt us the most. I'll be praying for that for you and for myself this week.